Well, as we get ready to read our text, we'll be reading 1 through um, 11, but we'll be speaking specifically 6 through 11 this morning. As we do that, it just the fact that we're even talking about a secure blessing, that we have a secure, like a firm, an anchored blessing that doesn't go away. And it doesn't go away just because of bad things that happen. I like uh, just sidetracking. I love Psalm 46, that, you know, that God is our ever-present help in the time of trouble, of great trouble. Whenever there's trouble, we have a refuge that we can cling to. What's amazing is, is it doesn't say that things get easy because we have a refuge. It just means when we are troubled, we have a refuge to be troubled in, to find comfort in. It doesn't mean that there is no pain. It just means we have somebody there to hold us in our pain that nobody understands. We have a peace that surpasses all understanding in in the midst of our circumstances. Just like we talked about last week, we have something far greater than our current circumstances, the gift that Christ provided on our behalf. I love Isaiah 41 as Isaiah prophesies and God tells them, Uh, these great I wills, I will, I will, I will, that even in their current state, they, they feel helpless, they feel troubled, they feel pain. But God says, when you need it, I will be there. And he says that in Psalm 41.10. And I just, those are such great promises and blessings. Even though we feel loss at time and we feel pain, the I wills are coming. And, and God is there. I love the fact that he says, cling to the rock that is higher than I. You may feel like you're drowning, but the way to keep your head above water is reaching up and grabbing onto Christ, our solid rock, in which we can stand. And we just cling to that rock, and he will hold us in the midst of the storm. Those are all great uh, comforting things to think about as we pray for one another And as we think about our great and wonderful text that we can rejoice in, even in the midst of pain, suffering, and trials. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of opening your word. I thank you because you use it according to your will. You use it according to your purpose. It's not according to our desire, our wishes, our wants. You have selected the text this morning That speaks to many different things, but specifically to our hearts, to what you have done for us, that it is secure, that it's something that doesn't go away just because of the things that surround us or because we fall, we trip, and we sin. Lord, I just pray that you will use it mightily for your glory. May we lift up your name. May your scripture be proclaimed. And Lord, may we just fall more in love with you from from our heart, not just what we know. So Lord, we thank you for your promises and that they are secure and we can trust in you in the day of trouble. So Lord, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans chapter five, talking about the blessings of being justified, that's Simple, that we are declared right in God's eyes, not by our works, but by faith. And and he continues this idea of that we have these blessings. We have 
this assurance. We have a security uh, that is ours because of his work. And so we read in our text this morning, starting in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Romans, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained an uh, introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also boast in our affliction, knowing that affliction brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not put to shame because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. These are comforting and encouraging words as we think about the blessings that's afforded to us because of his great work. We first saw a few weeks ago that all blessings are a direct result of a position that we've been given, a new standing that we can stand in the presence of God, having a relationship, having peace, having great joy because of what he's done for us. We've obtained this not through our work, but through the work that he did when he died on the cross for our sin and when he rose again, justifying us or declaring us right in his eyes. We have this new position, but more than that, he goes on in verse 3, that we can now rejoice in our affliction or in our suffering because in suffering has nothing to do with happiness, but realizing there's something of greater value, and that is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, it's not the, the beginning of our circumstances that matter, but it's the end in the, in the faith which has been afforded to us and, and our salvation that's been given to us, this new standing, this new position. We realize that we have this great value. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ and when we trust in him, we, we have this perseverance that's been granted to us as a blessing from the Lord, which proves the character that he's given to us, the testing of our character. But not only that, but it produces a hope. And the hope that comes from the Lord doesn't put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint. When we go through these sufferings, we, we look at it differently than the rest of the world because the world, it's, it's just constantly thinking and, and focusing on what they don't have, but we can focus on what we have in Christ knowing that in the end, no matter what our circumstances are today, tomorrow we will not be disappointed because of Christ. 
And in verse 6, and it goes on to say, for while we, and he continues this idea of another secure blessing that we have, and that is we continually experience God's perfect love. Continually. When Christ died for our sins and, and when we come to him by faith, knowing that he is the way of salvation, knowing that there is no other name by which we can be saved, there's, we can do nothing to inherit eternal life. There is no, nothing righteous about us. There is none righteous, no, not one. We studied in Romans 3. We realize all of this, and yet he died for us and provided us a way to be justified in his sight. It isn't that when we got saved that we, we enjoy God's love at that moment because of the gospel, but we get to continually experience God's perfect love. I want you to notice in verse 6, look at how he refers to us, those that have put their faith and trust in Christ. At one time, he says, we were weak. And then at the end of the verse, he says, we were ungodly. And then in verse 8, he calls us a sinner. In verse 10, he calls us an enemy. Wow. Do you see the condition that he sums up our life before God before he saved us? These four terms describes the condition of all men. He's talking about the real condition of, of what we are without Christ. And it's important to understand who we really are without Christ so we can truly enjoy the love of Christ. That love that's been poured into our hearts and why we are never disappointed that he talks about in verse 5. And that's the, the real idea is here is his love is magnified by our terrible condition. It's magnified. It says, we were weak, we were wicked, we were wayward, we were warlike. I was for Pastor Ralph. I got all the W's in there. <laughs> you, you know, Pastor Ralph, he likes to make all of his points, you know, the same beginning with the same letter. Uh, I try. It doesn't always work. This one worked. <laughs> Yeah, we were weak. You know, it, descri it describes us to a T. A true a sinner without Christ is a weak man. Without strength is the term in the Greek. It carries the idea of being powerless. It's like being a power saw but not being able to plug into anything. It's of no value. Have you ever had a power saw and, you know, have no power or to have a uh, a battery-operated power saw, and then the battery doesn't work. It's like, uh, you're kind of stuck. We have no power. We have no strength. It speaks of people who are utterly helpless with no means of escape. They're weak. The idea that Paul is getting across when he says in verse 6, uh, while we were still weak, this is when Christ died for us. We were weak. The idea of the lost sinners standing before God with absolutely no ability to change who he is. We have no strength to be able to. That's what this word means. That's who we are when Christ died for us. Our sin has made us spiritually sick. That's the, the idea here in the Greek. Specifically, it means that we have no power to come up with a plan to justify ourselves. The idea 
is that if we are left to ourselves, no one is able to do even one small thing to please God and to achieve salvation. We're weak, powerless. We are spiritually incapable. Incidentally, that's why efforts to improve our society based on outward change ultimately doesn't work. Well, that's why all the self-help books don't usually help. They help for a, a time, but then in the end, it, you just keep on struggling in our fleshly weakness. We cannot change our basic nature by ourselves with self-effort because at our core of our self-centeredness, we are weak, we are powerless. We need a Savior. We need Christ. That's Think about this weakness of who we are when we think about God's love for us. Doesn't that magnify God's love even more? God didn't die for us because we were something. It's like, wow, look at them. I'm going to die for him because I like him. He can do a lot for me. It's like, no, we are helpless. We're not worthy, but God died for us. The second thing there is, is that the wicked the sinner is a wicked man. And in verse 60, it's the same word for ungodly, wickedness. The word refers to without reverence or fear of God. What does ungodly mean? It means that you have no fear of God, no reverence for God. There's no worship for God in your life. You live as if God doesn't even exist. That's what it means to be ungodly. Because we are all helpless to change our sinful nature, we live our lives as we please without regard for God or His law and will. We're wicked, ungodly, without reverence or fear of Him. And then in verse 80, we're wayward. We're sinners. The sinful man is wayward, which the, the idea of sinners means to miss the mark. That means no matter how many times you shoot the arrow at the target, and you miss. I'll never forget when we were sighting in my rifle to go hunting um, with my dad. And, and I had put a new scope on it. And, and so I said, hey, dad, I, I just need to check it. Let's, you know, shoot at. We were driving to where we go hunting. And, and I said, let's stop at the, the, the rock quarry there and let's throw up a target and let's shoot. And on the way to the, the rock quarry, we saw this gigantic bear. And I had a bear tag. And so I'm like, let's, let, let's shoot it. So I reach up and I shoot it. And I, I don't even see, the bear didn't even flinch. I didn't see nothing. I mean, I was like, my dad looked at me. He was like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, shoot at it again. I said, all right. And I shot at it again. And I saw like five feet down the hill, I saw dust kick up. And I'm like, that's not right. And the bear goes up and over the hill. I'm like, okay, well, we're not getting that one. So we went to the rock quarry, we sighted it in, and obviously my dad's like, yeah, you really need to sight that in. So we shoot at it, and about five times in, you know, I, I hit the bullseye the, the second time in, I shoot it again, and now it's like a foot over. My dad's looking at me like, what's going on? And then I walk it back down to the target, five shots later, I, I mean, I'm going through ammo like mad, and my dad is getting frustrated. He's like, I, I don't know what's going on. He's like, let me do it. And <laughs> I've never seen my dad get so frustrated. He's like, we're wasting time. We're wasting bullets. So he, he fires it, and he can't hit the target. He's like, all right, let's walk it in even closer. 
We got within 25 feet aiming at the bullseye. Couldn't hit it. My dad's like, it's broken. <laughs> it, it, it went, the, the reticles inside the scope were broken. And nothing, it was moving. No matter where or how we tried to shoot that thing, it missed. That's what we are. We're sinners. No matter how much we try to hit the target, it ain't going to work. We're broken. That's what he's calling us. And yet, that's who Christ died for. For us, who are sinners, who are broken, who, who can't hit the mark. Isaac Watts wrote that amazing hymn, At, At the Cross, if you haven't seen that hymn or read that hymn. It's, it's beautiful. The original, in the original, there was a line that said, should he, that is God, devote his sacred head for such a worm as I? Isaac was writing, he couldn't believe that God would sacrifice his own son, his own head on the throne for such a worm as I. A worm is a pretty strong statement, isn't it? In fact, Psalm 22.6, David said the same thing, but I am a worm and not a man. That's how he thought of himself in, in the presence of God. He realized he was nothing but a sinner. As much as we try to make ourselves look better than we really are, apart from Christ, we are helpless, hopeless, horrible, undeserving, unbelieving, we missed the mark. As ungodly, ugly sinners, we need, we are indeed smelly worms before a holy God. And yet, in spite of our terrible condition, God loves us. Man, that is powerful. Not only that, but he said that we were warlike. He called us enemies in verse 10. In verse 10, he says, and while we were enemies, he reconciled us to God. The word means an adversary. Basically, the Bible is telling that when we were lost, we were in the devil's camp fighting for him. Against God. No matter how much a man, man may talk about loving God, if he's unsaved and hasn't put his faith and trust in Christ, then he, he's an enemy. He's a liar. God says the lost are his enemies. But look at the great contrast of this. In verse 7, isn't this amazing? For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates, or in other translations, shows us his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's using an amazing illustration here in verse 7. He's talking about a, a Greek, um, how in the Greek culture they would worship idols and they would actually die. They would, they would have people die for people that were, in, that were better. If you weren't better than somebody, if you weren't righteous or, or good, you were kind of expected in worshiping of those who were better, you would die for those who were better so that the culture would continue to evolve into something greater. So there was this idea that no one would die for a loser. No one would die for 
somebody who is ugly and horrible, but if, but if you were, you know, horrible in the community, you were ugly, you were, you were an outcast, you were expected to die for those who were good. But look at what Paul is saying here about our God's love. Think about what Paul is saying. If God was so motivated to save us while we were totally depraved and wicked, his truth, this truth about his love and him saving us and reconciling us should strengthen our sense of eternal security. This is a very secure, anchored blessing that we continually get to experience God's Perfect love. It's a love that's solely based on his character. That's not based on us. Here's the point of this illustration that Paul is making and that the Holy Spirit gave to him. And that is, think about this. Parents, right, when, when somebody takes a kid and, and they, you know, they kidnap somebody and they have a ransom and they ransom and they want a, a very wealthy uh, parent to pay a ransom to get the kid back, and the parents would would pay everything. They'd do everything they could to get their child back. But it's highly unlikely that a parent then would go to the jail and pay, you know, to pay the bond for the kidnapper to get out of jail. That ain't gonna happen, right? I mean, somebody takes my kid, and they get, and we catch them because I would do everything I could to catch them and, and to get my child back. And I wouldn't go in and say, "Okay, I'm going to pay for your bond." But think about what God did for you. Our salvation is secured eternally, not by our loveliness, not by how great we are, not by how good we are but by God's complete character shown in his perfect love. You know that word shows or demonstrated in verse 8? It means to provide evidence of a personal characteristic or claim through an action. It's to give proof of that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's showing his complete and perfect character in loving us. This is an amazing act that God would look at us and and see his son and to see us, his son who is worthy, and to see us who is not worthy, who is unholy, who is a sinner, who is broken, And he would pay for that and ransom us and to pay for our sin. That's an amazing love. I love that song, Amazing Love. How can it be that my God would die for me? I want you to notice something. Over and over, we see the verb talking about Christ died for us. Died. It's in the aorist tense. You know, I love to... I, find, I chase verbs all day long as I'm studying. But it indicates a past action. It was completed at the cross. When Christ died, he died once for all eternity for those 
that got saved, for that put their faith and trust in Christ. It says here that it indicates a past action that was completed once and for all at the cross. He didn't have to keep dying. He did it once. And it, was a, it affects us for the rest of eternity. But here, when it says he demonstrated or shows his love for us, the verb shows or demonstrated, whatever text you have, the, it's in the present tense. And it conveys the idea, not of a past completed action, but an ongoing demonstration of God's love that continues every single day for you. Think about that. God's love doesn't stop. It keeps being poured out into your life. It's, a, it's his complete character. Think about this. This isn't so important. And because if God loved us because we loved him, he would love us only so long as we loved him. That's not security. And on that, con- and on that condition... And then our salvation would depend on the consistency of our treacherous heart. But as God loved us as sinners, as Christ died for us as ungodly, our salvation depends, as, the, as Paul argues here, not only not on our loveliness, but on the consistency of God's love, of his eternal love. This is the deep and important aspect of God's love that Paul's trying to show us, this secure blessing, this great blessing that we have because of being declared right in God's eyes based on his work. And that is, if you don't see yourself as a wretched sinner, you will never grasp the magnitude of God's love for you. You'll never be secure in God's love because you'll always live with the insecurity that you, it, that God's love can be lessened for you. If we realize who we really are, it makes what God has done and is doing that much greater. The second thing that we see in verse 9 is that we are saved from God's wrath. I don't know about you, but that's, that's amazing. That is great. We looked at the nouns that God describes us with, right? The ungodly, the sinner, the enemy. All of these nouns about how horrible we are, wicked, weak, wayward, warlike. If there was anyone that deserved God's wrath, that's us. That's what we deserve. Instead, at the right time, God sent his son to die on our behalf, to save us from his wrath. That now we've been declared right by his blood and we're no longer in the state of hostility against God. We don't, we're no longer enemies. We're no longer under his wrath. His death proves his love intent by declaring us right, proving the full effect of his sacrifice. What is the wrath that Paul's referring to? It could refer to the eternal separation from God in hell, or 
the outpouring of God's wrath during the time of great tribulation. Whatever it is, it, it's not good to be under God's wrath. Whatever Paul is describing here of being in God's wrath, it is not a place any one of us ever want to be. This is one of the most amazing parts that Jesus became our propitiation, satisfying all of God's wrath for us, being that stand-in, going in between, taking all of that wrath that was intended for us, and he took it to the cross. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 20, we see the effect of Christ's blood in the opening, the access to the throne room of God. He says, since therefore, brethren, we have this confidence to enter the holy places, that's the throne room of God, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, which is his flesh. I want you to see that there's an importance for the blood of Christ. We talk, we talk about remembering Christ's blood when we take communion. We're not worshiping, we're not worshipers of the blood of Christ, but there's an importance of the blood of Christ. We're worshipers of Christ. We're worshipers of, of God. But God's plan, he needed a perfect sacrifice and there needed to be a blood sacrifice. We see this importance in the fact that there is no forgiveness without it. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Not only that, it satisfies the holy claims of God. It satisfied what God, his claim for us. It says here in, in Exodus 12, 13, it says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The blood of Christ applied to our life, it satisfies all of God's wrath. Just like it did during the, in Exodus when they applied the blood to the doorposts, and, and, and when they were in Egypt, God demanded a blood sacrifice, and when he saw that blood, he passed over them, death passed over them. Not only that, but it makes atonement for our soul. In Leviticus 17.11, it says, it is the blood that makes a payment or an atonement for our very soul. The blood of Christ also redeems the believer redeemed, right? We've seen that song, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, redeemed. And then it goes, you know, you keep singing and it gets higher and higher. I quit singing because if I go higher, it just, it, it hurts ears. But we're redeemed by the blood of the lamb. First Peter 1.18, redeemed with, the, with and by the precious blood of Christ. It cleanses us, it purifies us from all our sin, I love 1 John 1, 9. If we are, if we, you know, if we sin, right? If we ask for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us of all unrighteousness. But in 1 John 1, 17, it says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us or purifies us from all our sin. But not only that, it declares the believer right in God's eyes. And here in verse 9, much more than having been justified or declared right in God's eyes. Man, that's what God did for us. That's his 
love being poured out for us. But he didn't stop there. I love the third one. It says, we were reconciled to God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What he's saying here in verse 11, 10 and 11, that Christ opens the door to make peace with God. Christ is the one that unlocks the door. His death and burial and resurrection, his sacrifice for us, his payment for our sin opens the door to reconcile us to God. To, he not only took the wrath of God and we're no longer under, under the wrath, but he opens the door to reconcile us before God. It means to exchange one thing for another. You know, when you go to another land, you take the dollar and you, and you go to the exchange and you go to the exchange place and you drop down your currency and they exchange it for an equal amount of, of currency. But here's the thing is, is we have nothing to give. So Christ died for us to reconcile us, to exchange his life for ours, to make peace in the Greek culture, it meant to legally reconcile two disputing parties in court. And in the New Testament, it was used of a believer's reconcile, being reconciled with God through Christ. This is beautiful. Do you, rec- do you realize this continual love that God is demonstrating for you? That's why our circumstances are so small because what God has done for us is so big and everlasting. It's so deep, it's so wide, it's eternal, it's perfect. It's his life poured out for us. That's what we have. It is a secure blessing. I look at these verses and I marvel did you just look at this and say, I just I marvel at this is what God would do for me? God knows my heart. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows my struggles. He knows all of my sin. He knows all of yours. And yet, this is what he's done for you. He takes our disordered lives and he orders them not just by anything good, but by his everlasting love. Our blessings are far greater than our minds can ever fathom. In light of this, in light of this truth of what Christ and what God has done for you, where do you stand this morning? When you look at your circumstances, where do you stand? Where do you stand with God? Where is your faith? What are you trusting in? Are you saved? Are you trusting and putting all of your hope, all of your trust in the one that died for you? Are you hoping for something else? Are you running after a bunch of other things in your life? Only one thing really matters, and that's this. 
the secure blessing of what Christ has purchased for us. Are you as close to God as you need to be or should be? Or are you guilty of being in love with Jesus just when it's convenient or it feels okay or right? Or is your love for God growing immensely because of his love that he's continually demonstrating to you day in and day out? As David reminds us, his our mercies are being renewed every day. If other things have begun to crowd this love of God out, why not come and let him clear that cutter out, clutter, not cutter, let him clear all those, you know, when they back, put those consonants back to back, it just, it hurts my brain. <laughs> clear that clutter out. That's what his perfect love does for your life. It purifies it. It reminds us, reminds us what really matters. It reminds us of what's really important. It reminds us who we really are. You know, when, we, when I looked at this passage and I looked at all these things that he describes of what I was like before he saved me and what I am now, I, I'm like, man, I need to look at everybody differently and stop expecting more out of people and I need to expect more from me because of what God has poured out into my life. Don't just say, oh yeah, I love the Lord. I know he loves me. Realize the depth of what he went to to save you. Live there every day of your life. God is great. Let's obey him. Let's follow him. Let's truly, not just like him, let's not just say, oh yeah, I, I want to be friends with him. No, no, let's truly lay down our life for him. He told us in Romans chapter 12, which we'll get to maybe a few years from now, but Romans chapter 12, he says, let your life be a living sacrifice to him, which is our reasonable act of worship because of what he's done for us. We shouldn't look at our life. Let's be like Paul who says, I strive, I agonize to know Christ and the power of the resurrection, to take a hold of how and why and how he took a hold of me when he loved me and died for me. May I strive for him the way that Christ has strived for me. May that be our desire and grow in that desire for him and let the circumstances of our life melt away in the image of the cross and our gift that God has given to us. Let's pray. Lord, it is humbling to read these passages and to, to look inward into our, my own heart, into our own hearts. It's humbling, but it magnifies, it makes your love that much greater.
Lord, may we not be guilty. May we, may we seek forgiveness for minimizing that love, for allowing our life to be so cluttered and so disordered that we don't dwell on that love in which you have loved us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us, the ungodly, the wicked, Lord, those that are weak, unable to do anything for ourselves in the flesh. But Lord, in your great love for us, you provided what we could never do. And so, Lord, I pray that would wash over us. May we let your love have its full effect in our life and purify us. That we would run to you with open arms, confessing our sins, not trying to hide it, make excuses or lie about our life, but Lord, we just be open before you because you already know everything. May we enjoy the love that you've given to us and just praise you and worship you from a, from a loving heart, from a pure heart, from a spirit-led heart based on this truth. May we realize the security that we have because of your love, not because we are lovely, but because, Lord, of your perfect gift. In Jesus' name we pray.